Our global yoga community means the world to us. And during these uncertain times, it's important that we support each other now more than ever. So if you haven't already, please check out and support the COVID-19 Yoga Teachers and Studio Support Fund, which has been set up by the yoga mat company Lifeform, who have donated a whole month's worth of profits to get this fund going. And you can donate to support yoga teachers and studios in need right now. And you can nominate a teacher or studio in your local area to potentially receive an award from this fund. Now it's open to everyone, to anywhere in the world, and to find out more, please visit yogasupportfund.com. Welcome to Child's Pose, a yoga podcast hosted by me, Michael James Wong, teacher, author, and founder of Just Breathe, Boys of Yoga, and Sunday School Yoga. Now this podcast aims to deepen your understanding, expand your perspective, and inspire your yoga practice. As I speak to teachers, community leaders, experts, and also ordinary practitioners about the topics and techniques that have evolved and progressed over the years. From the evolution of alignment, to the joys of practicing at home and now online, to what yoga means to the next generation of teachers. My hope with this podcast is that I can share the wisdom from those early years through conversations with some of the pioneers of the practice, but also speak to the next generation of teachers who are doing their part to keep yoga relevant in the real world. So join me each week as we deepen our understanding, expand our perspective, inspire our practice, and discuss yoga. Past, present, and wherever it's going next. Child's Pose. Let's begin. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Child's Pose. I'm your host, Michael James Wong. And today, uh, I am more than excited to have a chat with uh, someone who I think is both really interesting, uh, insightful, and inspiring in our world of yoga, but also I someone who I'm actually uh, more honored to call a friend, and that is Matt Giordano. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thanks, man. Nice to, nice to be here. Yeah. I mean, for those of you guys who haven't come across Matt before, Matt is an American-based international yoga teacher. Uh, he's a true teacher's trainer, founder of Chromatic Yoga, and uh, the yogimat.com, which is an online resource for yoga and biomechanics. Over the years, since I've been teaching and, and traveling a lot, uh, I've been very lucky to to meet and hang out with Matt. Um, you know, these days we probably see each other a few times a year, um, but even longer than that, I've always been a big fan of the work that you do and the way that you teach. And I, I still to this day arguably say that you are one of the most technical and comprehensive, well-rounded teachers out there right now. So I really appreciate you spending a bit of time having a chat with us today. And um, how's things going? Where are you in the world right now? Uh, thanks, Michael. First of all, that was uh, a nice ego boost. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am currently home, which is exciting in Connecticut, Northwest corner of Connecticut on our little farm here. And, uh, I am so grateful to be home because normally I would have been on tour when the lockdown situation hit, but I happened to make a choice a year back to do a teacher training here in Connecticut. And that happened to be, that happened to keep me home when I normally would have been out on the road. And that was, unbeknownst to me, the best decision of my life because now I get to be home and I would have otherwise probably been in Europe for the past month, (laughs) you know, in a hotel. (laughs) So happy to be here. I mean, and it's an interesting time. And for those of you guys who are uh, newly tuning in, listening to this, we're obviously recording this in the midst of the the global lockdown. Uh, I'm in London. Uh, Matt's con- in, again in Connecticut, as he said. And you know, both of us, and we, we both obviously spend a lot of time out on the road. You know, and we you know we just saw each other a few months ago in in Stockholm. Um, you know, and part of this kind of this world that we live in now, especially with kind of our peers and our community, it's. There's a lot of time where we're out and about, and now we've kind of have this really new and interesting world. We've been given this big pause and, and come home right now. And so today on this podcast, what we're going to talk about 
And the question that we kind of are asking on this episode is, is there a right and a wrong way to teach yoga online? Now, as most of you guys know, the world has shifted dramatically for the yoga community where so much stuff is now being pushed online. And arguably, there's a lot of things that everyone is trying, uh, seeing if it works, figure out what's not working. And the reason I thought it would be great to chat to you, Matt, because obviously you've been actually not only teaching for a very long time, but actually you've been teaching online and offline for a very long time. So I know there's a lot of insights and learnings and perspectives um, with a lot of honesty on what works and also things that we should stay clear of. But I thought before we get into that topic, I thought it would be really nice to maybe just ask you how it all started for you, this world of yoga. What was it like at the beginning for you? Um, let's see. What was it like at the beginning? <laughs> All right, I'll try to make this quick because it's in depth as everyone's story is, I'm sure. The beginning of the yoga practice, I would say, kicked off when I was 17 and I uh, woke up on a sheet of ice with my collarbone broken in, in three places, my shoulder blade fractured and my forehead busted open. And the reason why this was at the beginning, because I had just uh, snowboarded into a pole, basically. And um, I'm going, I guess, you know, my friends walk me to the car and I'm looking in the mirror of my friend's car and I see like my face is like busted open with blood. I know it's very graphic. I apologize. But for me, it was a moment I had a, the first, I think, real self-reflection moment where I just said to myself, who's going to love me? And it was like a very painful experience, but what it did was show me in that moment that I had really placed so much value in everything in life on external appearances and external things. And so the following 12 months or so, I had a really big scar on my forehead that was bulging out in red. And so every conversation I had with anybody, you could see their eyes would drift upward and look and wonder and want to ask the questions, you know, what, what happened. And at first it was really hard for me, but then it, it became, um, a blessing because what I realized was I stopped placing so much attention on external visual looks and, and everything external and realized, you know, the people that, that will stay talking to me regardless of their curiosity or whatever, or the people that honestly just ask and, you know, um, get past it or get through it. Those were the people that were most interesting to me. And I started placing value on deeper level conversations because I realized that that's what mattered most to me, not whether or not, you know, I was attractive to somebody or if they, you know, thought I was normal or fit in or any of those things. So that began, that kicked off my self-reflection, which was really a key point because then when I, I started, I was a professional musician at the time and I developed my career. And I'd say in the next five years from then, I picked up a book called Effortless Mastery. This is another key point in my, my time. And Effortless Mastery was all about self-reflection of the ego and identity for musicians and how we would identify with that one great solo or that terrible time that we played or whatever it might be. And we might have this big visual of who we want to be. And that holds us back from actually taking steps forward. That book had meditations in it, um, and this was, I guess, around the age of, uh, actually, I want to say it was more like 21, age 21, so maybe it was a three, four years later from when I got the accident. So I started these meditations, and I really, I mean, very little guidance because I, I, I kind of didn't follow what he said. I would read it, and then I'd try, and then I wouldn't really follow any further, <laughs> and there was audio uh, guidance, but I never listened to it, which was silly. So anyway, I was struggling with meditation and even though I was struggling with meditation, it really kicked off a key, uh, uh, curiosity is the word for me in wanting to go deeper. And from there, I will say the next big, um, life situation that caused me to go the next step deeper was a bunch of my friends, my bandmates actually, so seven other or eight other guys at the time, called me down one day to 
have an intervention saying that they didn't like my attitude. They didn't want to be friends with me. They were going to kick me out of the band basically if I didn't change. And this along happened, uh, over, I mean, that, that's a, a big, uh, a lot of information without knowing some backstory, but essentially we had been in a very successful band for being an independent band and things had escalated and we had all become uh, stressed and tired and hungry and deprived of sleep and too much traffic on the road. And, you know, uh, and so it brought out the worst in us and definitely brought out the worst in me. And um, as a result, I was the, you know, the one I think that, for sure had the biggest attitude about uh, being right about things. And um, my opinions were, were becoming too strong. And the issue was like uh, around a number of different things, but not to get too deep into that story, just know that the experience was for me, like every person that was closest to me basically said they didn't want me around. And so you have two options when, you know, situations like this, you, you run away and you find new friends or you change. And this was a massive, important step in my life because I was ready and prepared to go find a new band, find new friends. And I was driving the next day and I suddenly had a realization that it didn't matter if I found a new band, if I found new friends, the same situation would happen because the same common denominator that was the problem was me. So I decided to make a change and I started trying to meditate again um, based on that book and was really struggling. But what I was finding was really great uh, times to contemplate and self-reflect. So I was learning a lot about the inner workings of my mind at that time and asking myself important questions. And that led to a certain level of self-inquiry that I would say really was the, the start of my yoga practice. I didn't yet do asana, but that was the real work. And it took um, about three years or so. So I don't know, we're in the, the age 23, 24 range now. <laughs> and what happened at that point was a friend of mine had died not a friend i would say a it was a yoga and yoga a music producer of our band and i really looked up to this guy he was always barefoot he was always eating vegetables and he was like doing he was always doing these weird things and i couldn't i didn't know what it was but he was doing weird stuff all the time you know like why is this guy only eating vegetables why is he barefoot everywhere he goes forget about i mean Forget about taking your shoes off inside. He was barefoot everywhere, you know. So this guy was a bit strange, but there was something mysterious and uh, cool about him that I looked up to. And for whatever reason, I really wanted the, his approval. Anyway, he he passed along, and at his memorial was another marker in my time that really led me to yoga. Because what happened? I walked in to this memorial. It was outside, actually. So I walked into the area and everyone's up on stage all of his friends and they're chanting om and they're burning like there's smoke everywhere they're burning sage which i didn't know what it was at the time they they're uh have these singing bowls and and i'm just every part of my judgment scale just like you know off the chart what are these weirdos you know like what are they doing you know Blah, blah, blah. And then some part of me, that self-reflective part of me that I've been working on, kicked in and realized what was happening, how I was being so judgmental of something I didn't know anything about. And these were his closest people. And I looked up to this guy. So in that moment, probably the most important moment of my life, I decided to open up to the experience of what was happening and to see if there was something here that I just, maybe I was the, the one that was not getting it. And I was right <laughs> in that moment. I was the one that was not getting it because as soon as I opened my eyes again, suddenly all the colors around me were so vivid, like a high definition television. And the sounds of the birds and the trees felt like they were right on my shoulder. And it was like every, every sound around or everything that happened felt like it was in just amplified. And I heard somebody shift their weight from their left foot to their right foot, like uh, 
three to five rows ahead of me and on the other side of the um, the section. So like I could hear them shifting their foot. Then I looked over and I see that they were shifting their weight and it was like, wow, everything was intense. So that moment I realized that there was a lot more to life than I had understood with my intellect and that there was more that I could comp that I could not comprehend up until this point that uh, suddenly I knew nothing very key um, teaching or learning was that I just really knew nothing. And so that began deeper self-reflection, but the rest of that week or two weeks, I would say everything was like that. Every leaf that blew by, it was like they were speaking to me. You know, I could speak to nature in those moments. It was, it was, just, I had become the weirdo that I had previously thought, you know? And from that point, it was really fascinating because the contemplations got deeper about life and about um, my choices. And anyway, I, the desire to meditate got stronger. And so the next key, key moment was I was, I met um, a friend of mine. who's one of my closest friends right now on a beach. And I had told her that I was trying to meditate and I was struggling. And she asked me about like uh, what, what I've something I've never shared with people before. And she told, she told me like, and, and what I told her was that story about that experience I had. And so she said, you need to read this book and it, it's called wisdom of the peaceful warrior. And I was like, uh, okay. So I don't know. I got in my car, I said goodbye and I went straight to the bookstore and I picked up this book, wisdom of the peaceful warrior in the first few pages of that book. Dan Millman, the author, talks about meditation and how seated meditation can be really challenging for most beginners. And it might be more accessible to start with a moving meditation like yoga, tai chi, or aikido. And I didn't know anybody that did tai chi or aikido at the time. So I called up my stepmother and asked her about yoga because she was a yoga teacher. And I said, what's, you know, what's this yoga situation she's like well you know i'd love to have you there and and uh you can come to a class and i was like great she wrote down a schedule for me I, I picked it up from her um and put posted it up on my desk and the next day i jumped into a yoga class and in that yoga class well as i was walking in she was like hey you know after three times you'll know if you like the practice i was like okay cool all right well let's try it out in I would say within the first 12 minutes, I was completely hooked and knew my life was not going to be the same after that. I was in my first warrior two. I was completely in love. And I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. And so there was no getting rid of me then. <laughs> <laughs> Went back every day after that. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, it's really fascinating to, to hear this. I mean, and you and I are quite good friends. And a lot of this is, I mean, I've heard snippets of this in, in conversations and in classes. But I mean, you had yoga in the family. And you know, you kind of in that first class, I mean, I'm not sure about falling in love with warrior two as the first pose to fall in love with. But I mean, I, I totally, I totally connect with that, that kind of idea. I mean, for me, you know, I grew up in LA. So I don't know if, if, if people remember, you know, there was a studio on Melrose and Fairfax called City Yoga, which was actually, um, you know, back there in the 90s and early 2000s. And I went to a class and it was the same type of thing where I went into my first class and first class, it was a bit like, I feel like I'm a bit out of my depth here, but then something flicked and switched over and I enjoyed it so much that I went back the same afternoon just thinking that, you know what? this is now a thing and this is things it was it was something that had that similar sense of, of immediacy that really switched something in, in my brain and, and it sounds like it did for you as well yeah absolutely <laughs> something switched in that moment and i it was not going to be the same yeah i mean and then obviously i mean that that's a while ago now and you know and fast forward to kind of these days in the practice i mean uh, i know obviously you you're obviously a very dedicated practitioner and a teacher and you spend a lot of time traveling i mean what is the i mean what is the shape of your yoga now i mean what is it that you teach and kind of how do you kind of see the practice now um okay uh 
I feel like there's a lot of questions in there. So let's let's distill down one. Like, what is my practice like now, or what is yeah. my teaching like? Let's let's simplify it even better. I mean, what's yoga for you now? Yeah, I think yoga is and always has been for me self-reflection. It is self-inquiry, asking myself the questions to go deeper into understanding myself as a individual, human being, my ego, my uh, the construct of my intellect and my mind. But beyond that, like, who am I as a being of nature and, and like, what's my role in this bigger experience? Um, so that to me is what yoga has always been about self-reflection, self-awareness. So, um, that's still the case and their chromatic yoga is around three key points to, um, self-reflect. And that is the physical body, the energy that pulses through it and the mind, the mind being emotions and thoughts, the collection of, uh, perception, uh, mechanisms inside of us. So yeah, for me, like, what does my yoga practice look like? Depends on the day. Am I, am I focusing on my body? Am I focusing on my mind? Am I focusing on the, the breath and the energy that pulses through my body? Um, and that could look different. You know, sometimes it's pranayama, sometimes it's meditation, sometimes it's contemplation, sometimes it's asana, um, depending on what I, you know, what I feel is needed. You know, sometimes it's just focusing on what I'm eating, how I'm sleeping and, um, you know, other, other life situations. How's that? No, 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 that's great. I mean, I mean, the joy of these kind of chats is, is they're very informal and, and really just kind of, you know, just shedding a bit of light on, on different perspectives in the practice. I think right now what's really interesting, especially since the world is in this lockdown phase and one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about today is just this almost overnight shift to the yoga world moving online or trying to reposition uh, itself or teachers repositioning themselves to to just you know survive and to sustain and and kind of a whole new almost infrastructure of, of how yoga is taught and practiced i mean what's what is your perspective on this whole kind of online yoga light bulb that's just kind of been flicked on in the past few weeks and months yeah you know it's interesting when i was first starting practicing yoga i had dvds from some of my favorite teachers and I would watch them over and over and over and over again. And that also really informed my teaching skills. And then when it came to online yoga, when that kind of hit, I was resistant towards it. I was at the, at that time now like a full fledged teacher and everything and had my opinions about what yoga was. And, um, I was very resistant to the whole online situation. I think that resistance like carried through, even though I had started teaching online <laughs> I still was like you know the real yoga is in person and yeah um and I it I think everyone did a little yeah, bit for sure yeah I think a lot of us like that really appreciated you know if you started yoga in a studio and most of your experiences happened in live in person with your teacher then you're gonna hold that opinion I think to a certain degree because what works for you 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 hold as right and what doesn't you know what you haven't experienced you usually hold as wrong so yeah what worked for me was being in front of my teacher um but what i forgot was really that a lot of my influence came from dvds which is no different than online <laughs> really yeah, uh, yeah. which ones um, did you have back in the day i well i was super into anusara so i had tons of uh, dvds of john friend and yeah. his teachings and um, I had like Baron Baptiste and some other things as well. Um, uh, you know, like some yoga anatomy and blah, blah, blah. There are actually one, yeah, there's one anatomy video that I loved and watched over and over again. I can't think of the guy's name. Um, but anyway, so uh, <laughs> in other words, I had blocked out that to form my opinion and righteousness. But what was interesting, and up until the past, you know, the past few years, I've been teaching online on Tint Yoga on my website. I've had online content. I started online content six, seven years ago on my website uh, on YouTube. I, I started with the YouTube channel. I think there's stuff up there from like, at, you know, close to 10 years ago right. where I was putting content up and re reluctant and resistant to doing it. But I something about 
yeah, I don't know, just something in me knew that I needed to do that. Maybe because I was resistant towards it, you know, like maybe I just knew that that was the step that I needed to take. And when I, when we, Rebecca and I moved here to Connecticut, I remember one of the first conversations I had my, when my brother had visited me was he just been to like a um, marketing conference or something. And he was just like, you need to get your stuff online. And I was like, well, I do have stuff online. I've got, you know, my YouTube channel and He's like, you need to start selling your stuff so people can access it. And he was really talking, I think, from his perspective, like he would like to practice with me, but he can't, you know, he's, we're not in the same location. Yeah. We never really were after, you know, in my professional career. So he's never really had a chance to practice yoga or get into his body. And, and I was so pushed, pushed, I pushed back a lot. Um, but part of me did it anyway, because, you know, I think I just knew somewhere in my heart that that was the right way to go. And I, sh I needed to do it. Um to get through the, my stuff and people needed to experience that couldn't actually be with me. So I started doing that and thank God because, uh, I established a e-commerce website where I sold my online content for the last six years. And so when this hit, uh, with COVID-19, I was fully prepared to shift my business online. Right. Um, I mean, it, it was already online, but, you know, maybe it was responsible for one eighth of my income or, or whatever it might be. So it's, it never, but part of me always wanted to slow down teaching abroad. Um, and you and I have had those discussions where it gets tired yeah, yeah. to, gets tired to fly and it gets tired to sit in a hotel. And, and I, you know, I love being home with my wife and uh, my farm here and it's it's not it's not that I don't want to teach and travel I do uh just when it becomes your entire source of income and uh that's you know kind of your career is dependent upon it you know uh your lifestyle revolves around it it's different than you know going out for uh you know a couple months out of the year or whatever or you know a few weeks here and there it's uh, that's great but when you're doing it all the time it's like when can I go home um, so while I've been wanting to do that, I never trusted that I could, you know, financially make it in the online platform, partially because of my resistance to the online. Like I just didn't, right. I just didn't want to shift it. And so fast forward to a few weeks ago, I just had this idea when my wife and I were at the supermarket and we were in the, and there was no toilet paper, you know, it was that, it was that day. <laughs> that week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there was no toilet paper and and we were about to go on lockdown and so we were just shopping for the century you know just like i don't know we must have bought six seven dollars of groceries and you know like what what's going to sustain us in case we can't go out ever again you know on the way home i was like you know what on saturday i'm going to offer a live class i think that's just a, a good idea i'll just i'll just have a live class it'll be like five bucks, you know, whoever wants to come in will come in. Maybe I'll get like 10, 15 yeah. people. That would be great, you know? And so she's like, oh, cool. You know, Saturday's tomorrow. And I was like, no. Okay. <laughs> I was like, cause I was thinking it was Tuesday at the time, but now it's yeah. Friday. So, so we get home. I, I think, um, I don't even think I helped her with the groceries after that. I carried them in and went straight to my computer. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, and I literally just like full force set this up, like, you know, created the products in my, in the back end of my website, like right. went, did the, like went on YouTube live and, and just tested something and whatever. And then I just text messaged like everybody I knew, WhatsApped everybody I knew, sent it out to the newsletter, Facebook groups, like everything I had ever, like any, I, I probably messaged you for, for who, who knows, you know, anyone like just, that you had any information <laughs> on. Yes. Just like, Hey, I'm doing this tomorrow. Let's, let's go, you know? And I was thinking 10 people would be great. 10, 15 max. I, I didn't think any more than that would sign up and, uh, going to bed that night, I think I had about 12 and I was like, you know what? That's I'm playing it small. Let's go for, let's go for what I say? 40. Yeah, yeah. Let's go for 40. And, um, woke up the next night the next morning to 39. I was like, Whoa, we got 39 people in this class. This is great. And then got my 40th sale and I was like, cool. I went on, I went on like Instagram live and discussed it and like going to go live. And you know, we got 40 people from around the world and I was like thrilled and stoked. Amazing. And in the next few hours it rolled in, like 
I, I was like watching, uh, I don't know, one of those uh, Beanie Baby infomercials from like when we were younger, you know, where like, absolutely. and I wound up having uh, well over 100 people sign up for this thing. Amazing. And so what platform were you doing this class on? So the, so I have a membership based website and I used that membership restrictions to restrict a YouTube live. Right. And the reason I was able to do a YouTube live, and this ties back to that conversation I said with my brother, was because I had over a thousand followers on YouTube, which allowed me to use my phone to do YouTube live when everyone else had to use like Skype now or Skype and Zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough that I had been in the YouTube world for six, seven, eight years already. And had built up a following which allowed me access to their tools that most teachers didn't have access. So I, I was fortunate that when I was in that resistant mode, like when my brother was like, you know, do this. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't want to. And I just did it anyway. And I, and I started a routine of, you know, putting these videos up on YouTube. And I used YouTube Live as my, um, as my source. And then I restrict the content. So the only people that can see it are the ones that are members uh, right. they, they purchase a, they basically purchase access to that membership so that and that membership. Yeah, that class. Exactly. I think for a lot of people listening, you know, they, they would either know you as a teacher, they're practiced with you all over the world, or they follow your stuff online. And actually to hear that you were still kind of trying to figure it out, kind of hoping that five, 10, 15 people were going to be in class, trying to messaging people, WhatsApp people, emailing people, that it wasn't just, oh, I'm just going to now turn my computer on and 100 people are going to show up, especially for teachers of, of your caliber to have to go back to basics of just getting the word out grassroots style. Yeah, I, there is never, I don't think, honestly, Michael, at any level of any professionalism, there's never a time where you ha- you just like things just like happen, you know, yeah. there's always an yes, once the momentum is rolling, things are happening. But as soon as you switch and you do something new or different in any career, whatever it is, you know, like if if, uh, if Dave Matthews released a, um, a, a an album today and it was a different style yeah they would have to grassroots you know promote the crap out of that and effortfully and yes they would pay a ton of money to a lot of people to help them but there would be a lot of effort in their touring in there you know that the thing is like people look at these like bigger entities and say like oh it's just easy for them and i think that that stems all over the place i remember when i was a musician people would be like would would say things like oh it's just because you've been playing for a long time uh that you can do that you know and and i'd say well like yeah that's correct because i put the effort and time in in order like i spend hours and hours a day trying to move my fingers properly so that it comes out and sounds good and like for my wife people would be like you know when she came to the yoga practice oh it's just because you're a dancer so so people will put like oh it's because of this okay you know since the age of three, she's been studying her body. That's different than labeling someone as like just successful because they're not you. And there is effort in any stage for anybody that has to happen if you want to make things come to life. Once that effort is really well placed, then the results and the i think the easefulness happens at a certain point and the momentum flows but as soon as you change like okay yeah sure i could probably go out on tour uh in europe for the next three months without you know having to think too much will people show Mm. up without me promoting probably not people will show up yes but will will it be sold out probably not i still have to put the effort in and put let people know about it um But it's a lot more effortless than if I'm going to do an online thing. Online right now is new. You know, it's it, yes, I've been doing it for six years, but it's still a new platform for me. It's something I haven't focused my attention on. Yeah, and I think as well, a lot of people who are doing online classes, it's a new way for them to practice as well. And so the consideration goes both ways that it's probably new for all of us. But even for people practicing, they have this, maybe a lot of people, this 
old style mentality and not even old style, just kind of the familiarity of going, Oh, I go to, I go to studio, I go to a class. I, I, I go into a room for, for yoga. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely new for everybody, but you know, to everyone out there that's listening, that's switching something over or doing something new and looks at somebody who was more successful or whatever, you know, it's good. Use that person as an example of, uh, how to put the time and effort in and well-placed effort in the right spaces will create that, but it's not without effort. It's not without, um, you know, like for me, it's not without, I had to text message people, friends, yeah. whatever, you know, it's like, and, and I had to do it over and over again, um, for a few weeks until I decided I would switch my platform mm. to, instead of being single classes, I decided to do, uh, a month long pass, which made right. a lot more sense. Okay. So I promote for one week, this one pass and instead of, um, you know, like every day for each class, so you have to, you know, figure it out. Yeah. I mean, and let's just talk through that as well. I mean, now for, for teachers who are listening to this, who obviously haven't had six or seven years kind of building their online chops or putting content out, if, 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 they're, if they're at home right now and looking down the barrel of studios being closed, not being able to teach in live environments, I mean, what is, in your opinion, kind of the best place to pivot to get going online right now? My wife's business mentor her name is heather lindy says this to her all the time and i think it's brilliant done is better than perfect <laughs> which that mm. is probably the best like forget about trying to make things like whatever you can do to start is what you need to do so if that is you've got zoom go on zoom if you got skype go on skype if you got if you feel like you want to create an online course instead of doing live sessions, then what's the first step you can take? Is there, and when can you take it? Not, you know, like in the future, way off in the distance, you're going to create this online course. When, what's the first thing you can do and when's the soonest you can get it done? The like most important thing when trying something new is not completing it before you've started. It's, actually starting taking that first step that's my best advice is just step into it yeah and i remember as well and actually i remember sitting in a conversation it was either just you and me or you and a few other people and you were talking about something that i've always remembered over the past few years was you know especially when you're looking at, at yoga content or classes and videos that a lot of times people or we as teachers can get kind of stuck kind of get caught out with like oh, i don't have the right plants in the background or, or the right lights to make this look good, you know, or, oh, there's a door in the shot. And I remember you distinctly saying people are just, they just care about the content and they care about you and that just, just get going. And, and that still sticks with me every time that I kind of, you know, put something together. And I do want to thank you for that. But I mean, can you elaborate a bit on that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, of course I have those same, um, what, what do we call them the worries or excuses or whatever it might be like Rebecca and I we have we rent a space that has like tremendous amounts of lighting and a big white backdrop and everything but I've done all of these classes right here in my living room which is mm, you yeah. know just move the couches aside yeah we put some plants you know around that were we didn't go out and buy plants we just had some house plants we put nearby just to make it look a little bit nicer but there's a door in the shot and there's a light switch and a, there's a heating vent and and it's like really nobody's looking and going like wow uh i can't practice with this guy because there's a heating vent over here you know it's like no one cares about that they care about how they feel when they practice with you that's what matters to them you know what i mean so you do the little the you know, things that are, are necessary, but that comes with time. You know, once you get going and you take that first step, then you can improve. But if you try to improve before going anywhere, you just won't ever start. This podcast is part of Sunday School Yoga, an international teacher's community, an online teacher training platform, supporting new and developing teachers as they learn, share, and grow together. So make sure you check out sundayschoolyoga.com to find out more about how to get involved and to explore the growing selection of online courses you can enroll in 
from anywhere in the world. And, and I remember early on when I was when I started teaching, you know, I had teachers or I had uh, one teacher who would say to me, you know, your job here is not to perform. You're not here to be a TV star, which is in, mm. in a way kind of a, uh, a a sweet irony to the moment that we're in that teachers are being asked <laughs> to consider themselves as, you know, presenting yoga or teaching yoga through a screen. So there is this kind of element that can be quite resistant for, for some people. And I know resistant for me when I first started doing online stuff of, you know, oh, I'm not sure this is going to be right. It's now going to live on here forever. Um, you know, someone mm, else is going to yeah. slap me on the wrist and, and tell me that that shit was a thing, you know, that that was a femur and not a patella. You know, it's all these kind of things that you kind of go, ooh, someone's going to figure out I might not know exactly what's going on. And now they've got proof. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think all these stories are quite natural, and 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 I, and I think it's just you know it's it's both fantastic and phenomenal that that even after all these years we can still write ourselves little narratives of negativity that can kind of hold us back from just exploring possibilities and ways that we can expand our teaching and expand the way that we connect with people. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm on the pessimistic side, but I feel like that. Uh, that little voice that's that's negative and always trying to hold us back will always be there. The question is, knowing that that's there, what do you do? Mm. Do you listen or do you listen to the other voice? You know, do you do you do it anyway? That's my I, for me. That's the question. And I know a lot of yoga traditions and yoga philosophies are about like completely, you know, getting rid of all of that and becoming completely clear, like you're um, sitting on top of a mountain, nothing bothers you. That's not necessarily my philosophy, my philosophy is more like uh, understanding and seeing all of my doubts, fears, and, uh, and, and becoming so aware of them that I don't have to become them. I can listen mm. to them and hear them without, you know, just like if you're, if you're standing in a city street and you hear all the voices around you, you don't have to identify with any of those voices or you don't have to even listen to any of them. You can simply still be where you are in your own head with all that noise around you. Um, I don't think the noise ever goes away. Maybe, I guess New York City is a good example. Yeah. <laughs> right now in COVID-19, it's, you know, it's, it's quiet as can be, but they still go outside and bang on their pots and pans <laughs> to make sure they're comfortable and they're sound. <laughs> you know? No, it's not really the reason they're doing it. They're doing it for good reasons. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's like there's always going to be the doubt, the, the fears, the, um, anxieties and uh, you know and again maybe that's a pessimistic view but i i think it's uh in in my perspective kind of the a reality and rather than trying to um wait until the voice shuts up just don't listen to it as much listen to your heart listen to what you really want what you want to create how how you want to live what you know like fi what's your intention and then just follow that regardless of the the fears and the doubts yeah I, I I totally agree with that, and I think there's a a reality to the real world that we live in that we have to appreciate and let that be the basis in which we can choose how we want to live our life. yeah, one question I wanted to ask you, which is is quite topical around all of these online classes now, and I've been seeing lots of things posted about it and chatting to different people about it is cost and pricing of classes. Now, a lot of people are saying, don't teach for free, cut down the cost of your class, the classes should still be the same, because it's still the quality of teaching. I mean, where do you sit within this kind of conversation? That's a good question. Um, you know, it's hard to say, because yoga teachers um, have a shame and a guilt thing about making money. And that's, I think, partially because of all of the um, teachings that have been passed down that have been distorted over time. Um, and I think there's also, by the way, the creative minded kind of person is usually the yoga teacher. It's not so much the linear thinker that is the yoga teacher, which is uh, linear thinkers are usually drawn towards things like money. Whereas uh, non-linear thinkers, the creative minds are usually a little bit more repelled to money because it's a linear. Oh, sorry, that's my dog. Hey. <laughs> that's Tito. My dog is a non-linear thinker. 
<laughs> uh, so getting back to that, yeah, I, you know, I think yoga teachers tend to be on the more creative side, more the feelers and less the linear thinkers around things and money is a linear uh, thought. It's a linear um, currency. So I think on the one end, I want to encourage yoga teachers to not devalue their worth um, based on the fact that they may maybe, um, you know, to let go of that shame and guilt if they've, if they've got it. Um, because it, there are companies in the world like that sell you, uh, things like sugar and cancerous, uh, like a company with the red can and the script logo CC, you get the idea. Um, they, <laughs> this company and all the people within it make tons of money and some of them not tons of money because there's workers on all levels there. But, you know, there, there's tons of people making money. Nobody really would shame or guilt uh, an employee of the company and be like, ah, you know, well, some people maybe would. But most people would just say, OK, they've got a job and they're doing their thing, you know, and they're making money for their family and whatever. But when it comes to yoga, there seems to be this guilt thing. So um, first, I would say free content is necessary no matter what you do. Like you, you have to have some, even, even, um, big brands give out samples, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, samples, teasers, trailers, let people know a little bit about what's going on. Exactly. So free anything is necessary because what it does is it establishes trust and then it, it gives people an experience of what you have to offer. So you need something for free, but if you're offering free content all the time, one, it devalues yourself in that nobody is going to actually uh, latch on to that. You're not going to be uh, massively popular by giving away yoga. <laughs> it's just not, it's not going to happen. So, you know, why, and why I say popular, I know that's not the goal, but who is benefiting if nobody is coming? That's what popularity yeah. is about, right? So you, you want people to benefit from yoga, then people need to show up. And people don't take things seriously unless they place value on it. And so there needs to be a financial exchange, even if it's small. Now, of course, if you've got people that literally can't afford it and they are in a time where they really need it and they're going to dedicate and there's some way for an exchange to happen so that they really stay committed and you, uh, and you have that karmic exchange, then figure it out. You can barter. You can do other things aside from financial. There's other nonlinear ways to exchange. However, you need to charge something so people take it seriously is my, my point. Give away something for free, yeah. but it's not actually for free, is it? Like It shouldn't be. It should be in exchange for something, which might be they follow you on Instagram. It might be in exchange for them giving you an email address so that you can continue to contact them about more options. There has to be some sort of exchange for it to work. I've seen a lot of people do free stuff on Instagram and nobody shows up to the free things. Yeah. But if, if you do a free, uh, giveaway mm -hmm. and people give you their email address, you'll get a lot of people showing up for that. So there has to be an exchange in life an input for every output and output for every input. So, whether you want to, uh, you know, that's a linear thought and a linear idea, but my suggestion, how much to charge, that is a whole nother story. And what I've charged is $5 per class or $10 if you want it for a lifetime. Um, I think that's cheap personally. Um, I think most teachers and I I'm okay financially with that $5 to $10 per class because I have the reach with my Instagram following to get the numbers in that would make it financially worth it. But if I had five to 10 people in my class to charge $5, it's not really so, you know, it's not going to keep me afloat. So I think that many teachers should charge more uh, than what I'm charging. But if you have the masses, you can lower the number mm. a little bit. You know, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of good consideration. And I really, you know, I really like how you have so much uh, thoughtfulness and insight to 
your own considerations, but also to others. And I think, I think we're not right now needing to be in a culture of discounting for the sake of it or free just because there is this element of, of worry or fear that will no one come to class, so let's just make it free. I think one of what you said, which I think is really, really, um, you know, going to be helpful for a lot of people is, is to remind yourself that this is still your job. This is how you um, survive and sustain. And, and you are, you know, you, you know, if you're a teacher listening to this, you've done a lot of training, you've done a lot of time and effort putting, putting into this craft, your, your talent, your skill. And, you know, we have to make sure that we are sustaining ourselves and supporting ourselves and have to figure out the ways that have that, exactly as I said, this relevant exchange, this relevant value. Um, so it's not just a one class for one thing, but, you know, like it or not, this phase of online teaching is going to be around, you know, for a little bit. It's a little more prominent than, than how it was maybe the last few months and years, but it is very much, like it or not, a shift, a quite a a dynamic and, you know, big shift in, in how yoga is taught. Do you miss, though, Matt, the, the live interaction, or do you still feel like you get some of that when you're you're doing your, your classes online? Uh, yeah, I think I, um, you know, for me, the two live interactions that matter most are the more immersive experiences, like retreats, trainings, um, immersions, where I get to really connect with people and get to know them in their practice. Um, and I also like the festival experience because, uh, you know, you get these a big amount of numbers, number of people there that are really excited and stoked to be in the presence of one another. And there's something beautiful, like going to a concert about that energy. Yeah. Um, and I definitely miss those things. But, you know, I, we're not that deep in right now that I would feel, uh, you know, like, oh, man, I miss being on tour. I, 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 m both of my tours in um, in the, the past two months or whatever, or the next upcoming month are all canceled. And I'm not really worried so much about that, like, as far as feeling energetically, like, oh, I don't get to go out on tour. I'm actually really happy to be home. And maybe that's because I've gotten a lot, a lot more interaction with students now than I ever have. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's online, but like uh, the amount of emails and Instagram messages and just uh, the, 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 I have a Facebook group for everyone that has been doing my um, April class pass immersion. Mm -hmm. And I get to hear, I get to read everybody's stories and how they came to yoga and then the discussions that go on. And for me, there's so much connection happening right now. And social media has finally, I think, served a purpose for connecting people instead of just entertaining. And so I do feel connected to a lot of um, the people that I practice with me. I feel pretty close to them, honestly. And a lot of people that when I used to teach in Manhattan are now practicing with me again, which is also exciting. So yeah. I feel somewhat fulfilled, to be honest. Um, actually, I would say I do feel very fulfilled at the moment with, with the online you know, uh, practice. Now, who's going to say once the, you know, everything is lifted and we're all out and about again, is there still going to be that social media connection? I don't know. I, I hope that social media still is that place for connection instead of back to mindless entertainment. <laughs> yeah. We'll and, and I think, I mean, you make some really, really nice and solid points around this. And I think you and I are very similar. I mean, when we're out on tour, there's this, there's this beautiful nature of being able to you know, um, join different communities in different countries, um, you know, but you only see them once a year or twice a year. And even right now, I mean, for me, I'm doing a few kind of online classes every now and then, some online morning meditations, and I actually get to have those connections, interactions, albeit through social media or through online, where, you know, people that, that come and practice with me twice a year, I can actually see them twice a week or five times a week. And it's really, really nice, and it kind of reminds you how beautiful this connection of the practice is and how, how far it extends, and exactly to your point that, you know, social media and online have actually gifted us right now the means to have even more connection with, with community and students and people, where usually if we're out there kind of... Um, on, you know, on tours, in classes, doing trainings, you only have limited moments of, of meaningful connection. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Well, I'm glad you're you're feeling it too. <laughs> I mean, and that's the whole point of of this kind of podcast and this chat is to to really look at those things of how we kind of deepen our knowledge, expand different perspectives, and really take points of inspiration or elements of, of realization from kind of this world of yoga that is now. And and the way that I kind of wanted to to kind of start to to wrap up this this conversation, this episode with you, Matt, was to kind of take it back to more some of the the general principles or, or thoughts that you have around yoga and and ask you a few questions that I've been asking everyone that um, might just kind of give us a bit more of a glimpse into to you as a person, you as a teacher, and kind of your journey in yoga. And the first one is, what is one teacher in the past that has changed your life and, and kind of why this teacher had such an impact on you? Um, well, I will mention, I mean, I have a lot of those, but um probably one that um yeah i'll, I'll mention jill miller mm. um who's created yoga tune-up and yeah. tune-up fitness and the role model and part of the reason i'll mention her is because uh first of all i i when i, I think it was 2000 the year 2009 i was working as a sub at a studio pure yoga in manhattan and just started kind of teaching um, classes and everything. And they had, at, she had wanted to give a scholarship to a student that the studio felt would really make use of the training that she was going to do. Yeah. And they selected me and I agreed to do the training knowing nothing about her. I honestly had no idea what I was getting into. I was just right. like, all right, I'll just do this training. And it was one of the most transformative uh, trainings because I had already uh, little did I know. I mean, this was the perfect, I, if, if I knew about it, I would have signed up for it, but um, <laughs> give, give well, I was broke at the time. So maybe I couldn't have, but um, <laughs> I would have wanted to at least yeah, let's put yeah. it that way. Um, but I knew nothing about it. And I had already been really a geek about biomechanics and anatomy and I had been applying it based on the way that I had been studying with my stepmother and Anusara Yoga um, through their principles of alignment and everything. But I, I was more curious than just the like the simplicity that that uh, Anusara Yoga was trying to create for for its teachers. So when I got into Jill Miller's uh, training, what she did was like light up my reality to forget about yoga yoga alignment which is there's a right and wrong way to do a posture and mm -hmm. there is like this is how you hold your whatever and none of most of the, at that time like most of the yoga alignment really had no and still a lot of times will say has no basis for or foundation for for why it's correct it's just like someone said it and, and then someone else is, said yeah. it and then a bunch of people say it and then so it must be true and so what Jill kind of did is shake up my my world and reality right. by teaching me anatomy and kinesiology, basically study of movement and the the body, you know, like the and the muscles of it, and what the body just what the body does, and then kind of opening our creativity, which was the key point for me. She opened us up to creativity within how we share the practice, and that was to look at the body anatomically and essentially forget about anything anyone's ever told me just talk about the alignment based on what i know about anatomy and the physical body not what my previous teachers had told me so this gave me permission in other words to go into creativity mode which then set me up for the next portion of my career which was uh, working with private clients with injuries and the, the first person I got was because I was teaching a yoga tune-up class regularly and someone came to me and she's like, you know, I have um, degenerative discs in my cervical spine, which is the neck, and doctors say I need a surgery immediately. I'm trying to figure out a way to do it, to like go about this holistically. I think you're the teacher for me. And I was like, I, uh, I don't, you know, like I know a little bit about muscles now because of this training, you know, you're going to yoga tune-up, but I didn't really know much you know, I, about healing and, and how to support people. So I said, I, I said, no. And then she came back and said, no, no, I, you have to do this. And I was like, 
I was like, well, I'll make you a, a deal. I will, I will teach you if you go see a chiropractor and a physical therapist and I get weekly um, updates from them about what I should do with you. And then I'd be happy to work with you. And you'd have to also be willing to um, communicate with me throughout and before and after the, the uh, sessions wow. about what feels good, what doesn't. And so Jill gave me the confidence to even approach that right then and there. But what happened from that, and this is how Yoga Tuna, you know, like basically it kicked off that, but this is how my career and my teaching style formed was because I was in conversation with a chiropractor and a physical therapist each week, and right. I was doing sessions with this girl three to four days a week, I would teach a class afterwards and it would be completely influenced by what we just did in my private session with her. And so my teaching style formed around that concept of like whatever I was trying to help her with, I would bring into the class and weave it through the whole time. And that would just, you know, my mind was in that direction. And I just, you know, thank, thankful to Jill Miller for giving me that opportunity to um, think outside the yoga box and think from the body as, a, as something that is, it, it is, it's not about the postures, it's about the human, you know, so um, yeah. That's a, I mean, I didn't actually know that about you. I didn't know that was your story with, with Jill Miller. And, and obviously, you know, knowing you quite well as a teacher and, and, you know, you know, being inspired by how much you bring to people's anatomical understanding, but relevant, just movement and appreciation of, of specific and unique body and body mechanics. I mean, I obviously now can draw those dotted lines back towards Jill, but I mean, I think that's a really, I mean, a really nice way to put it. I mean, how do you describe your style now in kind of like a, you know, in, in a few words? That's a few words, geez. Um, well, what I created for chromatic yoga is something called a through line. And that's basically taking out what I, what I think I do is I create a through line for every class. And there's two types of through lines. One's a physical through line and one's a thematic through line. Physical through line is one muscle engagement or joint action throughout the entire class. And I apply it throughout uh, all the postures so that the student walks away knowing and becoming more aware of one aspect of their body and how to move. And then the other thing is a, is a thematic through line, which has to do with either yogic teaching or some uh, teaching that I feel is uplifting or inspiring to self-reflect and make changes in life. So you know, every class with me has a through line or both thematic and physical through line. Right. Love that. And obviously I've done uh, many of your classes over the years and I really enjoy taking away so much insight and little nuggets of wisdom, you know, every time. And I think for, for you guys listening, if you haven't uh, looked up Matt's class or had a chance to practice with him either online or in person, it's definitely someone to, to really lean into because of how much comprehensive nature he brings to the practice. So I did want to, you know, I want, I want to say that to you. And I think it's important that as teachers, we share, you know, compliments and, and you know, make sure everyone knows that, you know, what I really believe the work you're doing is so impactful. One of the things I wanted to, to say to you, which I also think is is an important thing and kind of our responsibility as teachers, and I, I would tend to put ourselves, you and I, kind of in that I'm going to call it middle generation, not the, obviously the first generation of, of Western yoga movement and, and kind of, you know, but been around for 10, 15 years or however long we've been doing this. A question for you is, you know, what what is one teacher of the next generation or a teacher that no one might not have ever heard of that, that people should check out or follow along the work they're doing because of how they're taking the practice forward? Mm. Someone of the, the upcoming generation. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of the people that are chromatic teachers right now, which I would, uh, I stand behind. I think they're amazing human beings. A lot of them are my age or even older. And so they're right. kind of in that and they've been around for a while. So to go like the generation lower, there are a couple of chromatic teachers that I would say are in that generation that I feel like are go-getters and really out and, and doing a killer job. And I would say that's, Johanna Stuger and uh, Lenok, um, yeah, and Lenok's uh, uh, Lenok Popov, and those two are really killing it and getting out there. Also, someone that I'm not, you know, I don't know her age exactly. 
and how long she's been practicing yoga, but someone that we share in common is um, Claire Cacao. Yeah. <laughs> Claire Bear. That's great. Um, yeah, she's doing some really cool, innovative new kind of things too. So those are some really great people that I think are, are rocking and rolling can be easy at times to just keep going back to the the same influences the same inspirations which are always going to be there and always going to be great but obviously with the practice it, it does continue to evolve and to continue to grow and i think it, uh, you know it's an important thing that we kind of keep looking in both directions so my last question for you matt as we wind this up is um you know is simply the question of what do you want your legacy to be as a teacher wow <laughs> I didn't say it was the easiest question. That's a, another intense question, Michael. Okay, uh, I like it. What is my legacy? What do I want it to be? Well, I want people to feel that I have provided a space or provided, um, yeah, really uh, an opportunity and practices to help kickstart a and inspire them to live their life at their highest potential. So whatever that might be, you know, if that's in the world of the physical body, like getting connected to their potential and knowing their physical form, or whether it's getting to know their mind or their heart and, and or, or creating something in a business way or their family or whatever it might be, whatever each person's highest potential is, I would like people to remember me as the person that sparked an interest in stepping into that. I think that's, I mean, that is something I very much see you embody as a teacher. And I think if that is, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we always remember you by, I think that is uh, such a, uh, a great thing to, to carry on, um, kind of the, the legacy of the Yogi Matt. <laughs> thank you <laughs> so i mean i mean this is where we're going to wind it up and and you know for everyone listening at home uh you know i appreciate the fact that you know these conversations are while at a distance are so um important to bring us together as a yoga community um you know wherever you are in the world and so matt i do want to thank you not only for the time that you're taking to to have a chat today but also all the, the time that you often give and gift to me with little messages on WhatsApp, a little catch up here and there, or just a random chat out and about. You are someone I, I very much look up to in this wider community as not only a friend and a peer, but as a teacher doing amazing things. Thank you, Michael. And uh, same to you. In fact, uh, I, I will just make quick mention that the person that inspired me to take the big step into creating chromatic yoga was you actually. So um, I appreciate your, your uh, guidance and wisdom that you have given me over the years. And thank you for always creating a space for people to come together and communicate and connect. And I really am inspired by you constantly. Thanks brother. So to, to wind this up and um, to let people know the best places to find you, am I right to say uh, on Instagram at the Yogi Matt, theyogimat.com is the website. Where else can they find you if they want to connect with you and reach out or take class? Yeah, those are the, the best places, theyogimat.com. One thing, the Yogi Matt is two Ts. My name is Matt, not the Yoga Matt, like not uh has that happened before <laughs> the thing you step on <laughs> oh everybody yeah in fact you know when people go to my website the like number one search result is the yogi mat with one t so right. uh, somehow people still get there that's great but uh the yogi mat uh with two t's and if you click on the live tab on my website you can practice live with me there's uh you click the shop page you got all the in the um pre-recorded classes and everything but yeah you can always reach out on instagram um, that's usually the best way and or the contact form on my website. I'm, I'm always uh, available via email. <laughs> so I'm happy to chat with anybody that wants to discuss and hope to have you uh, practice with me. It'd be great. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, but I always appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening in on this episode of Child's Pose. As always, if you enjoyed this and it was something relevant and meaningful for you, go on to Apple Podcasts and give it a little um, rate and review. And at the same time, if you want to stay connected, know that this podcast was brought to life by Sunday School Yoga, which is our yoga teachers community all around the world, supporting, learning, and sharing and growing together as we step into a space to create stronger connections 
connections in this global yoga community. Once again, I'm your host, Michael James Wong. And if you want to follow along my journey at Michael James Wong or practice with me, go on and reach out and, and we're here. So thanks again, guys. And thanks for listening to this episode of Child's Pose.